If you have your Bibles, turn me to the book of Job. Uh, we are going to be finishing up this series here this month, and so this week uh, we'll kind of wrap up the text, and then next week and the week after that, what we'll do is we'll take a look at each week seven lessons that we learn. So we're going to look at what seven things that Job teaches us and seven things that we learn about God. So that's how we will wrap up, kind of put a little bow on the text and uh, before we move on to anything else. Of course, we got Vacation Bible School coming up, and so that first Sunday in August, we'll be uh, celebrating the commencement of that and look forward to having uh, the guests and visitors with us for that. But if you have your Bibles, uh, Job chapter 2, as you're turning there, I want you to think about something this morning. How many of you love a good story? Like just a good story. Now, maybe something I, I love hearing things. What's, I love hearing things like happen in the lives of other people. I really love it when someone else finds it humorous and the person it happened to, it, they didn't find it that humorous. You know what I'm saying? Like someone's telling a story on somebody else and it's, everybody's getting a big kick out of it except the person that it happened to. But we all like a good story, whether it's a story about someone's, that happened in someone's life or it's a, a story that uh, is illustrative of a point, but we like a good story. In fact, my kids love stories. Uh, we read stories every night before we go to bed. Uh, and, and the interesting thing about kids' stories is that they are filled with imagination. Uh, you have animals that talk. You have children that are the heroes of the story. You have humans with superpowers that fly through the air and, and, and uh, have all kinds of superhuman abilities. But we all like a good story. And a good story typically ends with something along the lines of, and they lived happily ever after. All right? Like you think of all the, the Cinderella's, and, and I grew up in a house full of girls, so I have three younger sisters. There was a whole lot of Cinderella, there was a whole lot of Sleeping Beauty, a whole lot of Beauty and the Beast, a whole lot of Little Mermaid, and so those were movies that I grew up, and at the end, everything works out well, and they go on to live happily ever after. And you know, kids sometimes have a difficult time making the distinction between reality and imagination. And you see that, like, uh, Melissa was laughing because Eric was down here this morning with the microphone in his hand, just singing at the top of his lungs, just with that microphone up in his hand. You get him home today, and he's going to go home, and he's going to put on some rain boots because they're his robot boots, and he is going to run from one house to the other going, you know, with swords that are going to be flying all over the place and laser beams and rocket ships and all kinds of stuff. Because they, and, and he has a hard time, he thinks sometimes that he has superhuman speed. He said, Dad, I'm just fast. And, and, and we get that. But you know what? Sometimes even as adults, we have a hard time making the distinction between reality and imagination. And here's what I mean by this. Sometimes we think that if we can get a new job, we will somehow escape the things we are trying to get away from in the old job. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's a micromanaging boss, or maybe it's the gossip mill at work, and you think, man, if I could just find another job, all of this is going to go by the wayside, only to discover that the grass is not greener on the other side, it's just got different names, right? So the micromanaging boss isn't Bob, it's, it's, it's Terry, 
and, and the gossip mill isn't these three, it's another three. And I had an old preacher tell me uh, that the guy that I grew up under, uh, he had all kinds of one-liners. And the one that stuck with me the most, he said, the grass is greener on the other side, but it's usually over a septic tank. And so think about that one for a little bit. But he was sure, he said, you know, you can go somewhere else, and, and, and basically the problems are there as well, they just got different names. Or you buy a new car, and you are so proud of that new car, and you keep it washed and waxed until you take it to Walmart for the first time, and someone doesn't put a cart in a stall, and it runs downhill and right on the side of your door, right? Or, or we think that if we can just find the one person that we're supposed to marry, and we marry him, that life is going to be so great for the rest of our lives, only to realize that marriage takes a lot of work. Or here's one. Or we think that once we get saved, everything is just going to be like straight, smooth sailing from, from now until eternity, only to realize that we're still stuck on this earth and there's still life and life is hard. And that's what we get to in the book of Job. And when we get to Job and we, we've come to the conclusion of it, we're in the final roughly seven, eight verses of the book. We want to think that now that we've gotten to the point that Job has endured all this hardship and now he's coming to the end of the book, that we think that he's just, Job is just going to live happily ever after. That, that God has rebuked Job's friends and, and for, their, for their putting Job through, the, through a, a, a terrible ordeal of, of blaming, heaping blame and condemnation and shame and guilt on him. You know, so in, in chapter 42, uh, you know, he, 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 God comes down, he rebukes the friends gets on to them and, 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 and tells them that they need to offer a sacrifice and have Job pray for them that God would not deal with them according to what they deserve. And then beginning this morning in chapter 10, we find God, and we, we mentioned this in passing last week, this we're going to take a little bit closer look at it, we see God begin to bless Job. And the thing I want us to understand in, in, in all of life, like most of us, we, we can kind of sympathize with Job because we understand that life is hard. You know, if any of us have lived any amount of time, we realize that life can be difficult. But here's the thing I want you to remember through all of it, is that God is faithful. And never at any point over Job's whole ordeal was God ever not present. He was always there. He, he, he heard everything. He saw everything. He knew all that was going on. And God always, always, always remains faithful. So I want you to remember that as we dive into this text this morning, uh, that, that though life may not be happily ever after, God is faithful. So let's bow in a word of prayer, and then we'll dive into the text this morning. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, Lord, and I pray that you would etch on our hearts how faithful you are. That God, just when we, even though we, we, may get, we are saved and, and we're following you to the best of our ability and we're trying to do all the things right that you command us to do, Lord, and we're trying to stay away from the things that you tell us to stay away from, that God, that does not mean that life is going to be easy for us. And God, it is, it is bad theology on our part to think that all things are just going to be smooth sailing once we come into a relationship with you. In fact, you tell us and warn us in your word that in this world, we are going to have trouble. But God, you tell us right after that to take heart because you have overcome the world. And God, we, we soon discover in this life that there are things that, that you may ha have us endure that we feel like are, is more than we can bear. 
But God, you never send anything into our life that is more than you can bear. And God, I pray that 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 would be a promise that we would stand on, that that would be truth that we would stand on, that nothing that happens to us is ever beyond your control. And God, I pray that whatever we may be dealing with in our lives, whatever circumstances or hardships or trials that we may be facing today, that God, we would understand that you are over all of them, that you are in control over all of them, Lord, that that healing comes from you, that restoration, it comes from you, that, that deliverance, it comes from you, that the path through the storm, it comes from you, and God, you aren't on the other side, uh, drawing, a, you know, bringing us to you. You're not on the backside of us, pushing us through. But God, you are right there with us. Every step that we take, you are making with us step for step, with us in in whatever we are facing. And God, I'm so thankful for that this morning. That you have told us in your word that you never leave us and that you never forsake us. And God, there may be times like Job when we feel like that you aren't present, but God, I pray that, that your truth and your word would, would just be ever closer to us, that we would understand that despite how we may feel, that the reality is, God, that you are right there every step of the way with us. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us to know that. I pray that you would help us understand that. And Lord, I pray that as Job uh, says in chapter 42, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. God, I pray that you would help us to see you more and more each day, that though the, the skies may darken and the rains may come down hard and, and, and in a fury, that, God, we would still be able to see you clearly through the storms that we encounter in our life. And, God, we thank you today that you are faithful. For it's in Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said... Amen, amen. Before we kind of turn to the text today, I want to remind you a little bit of some words that, that Job utters and, 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 and says in, 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 in Job chapter 23. You know, back then in Job 23, uh, Job's covered in boils, he's bankrupt, he's sitting in a garbage dump with, with his friends taking turns telling him how awful he is. And in the midst of all of that, Job had the boldness and faith Right in the middle of the storm, he says these words. He says, but he, God, knows the way that I take. When he has tried me, I shall come out as gold. Now, if you go back into your Bibles, what you're going to find is, a, is, a, is that this he word is capitalized. So Job's referring, of course, to God. And Job makes three statements based on faith in the midst of his suffering. So he's not come on the other side of suffering. He's in the middle of his suffering. He's enduring the hardship. And these are the three things that Job uh, makes, the three statements that Job makes. He says basically this, I know that God knows my situation. How do we know that? Because he says he knows the way I take. So God knows the situation that we find ourselves in. The second thing he says is this, I believe it is God who is testing me. He says, when he has tried me. So Job says, I believe it is God who is testing me. And the third thing he shares is he says, I believe that after the trials have ended, God will bless me in a unique way. And he says this by the statement he makes, I shall come forth like gold. You see, Job despite being in the midst of the, 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 the toughest time in his life, knew that he'd emerged from these trials a better man, a different man, and that God was going to bless him in some unique, unique way. And, you know, that's an incredible, excuse me, an incredible statement for a guy to make in the midst of the storms that he's enduring. 
Now, these aren't that he stubbed his toe and, and, and broke a toenail, and now he can't wear his favorite heels. She, he. So it's not one of those things. This is a guy, I'll remind you, that had, had lost everything. He'd lost his home. He'd lost his ability to make a living. He had lost his 10 children. And he's sitting in, a, in the city dump, covered in ashes, boils and fever, ravaging his body. And he says, these words, he says, I know God knows my situation. I believe it is God who is testing me. And I know that after the trials have ended, God is going to bless me in a unique way. You see, Job, never in the midst of this, does Job ever deny the trial. He doesn't say, well, this isn't happening to me. This is all a figment of my imagination. It's all something. He, but basically, he doesn't deny the trials. But he does understand that there is hope beyond them. And you know, that hope is a unique word because hope, when we talk about hope in our English language, it's, it's almost like a wishful thinking, isn't it? Like, I hope I get, the, I hope I get the, the, the raise, or I hope I get the promotion. I hope that I, I win the lottery. I hope, I hope, I hope. And it's almost this, you know, thinking in our heads where, you know, we're not really sure it's going to happen, but boy, we sure wish it would. But when we talk about hope in the scriptures, when the Bible talks about the hope that we have, it is this assurance, this confidence that we have that God is going to fulfill his promises, that we know it's going to take place, we are merely waiting for the fulfillment of God's promises to occur. So it's this confident assurance that God is going to do what God says he's going to do. And that's what Job had. Job had hope beyond the storm. He says, I know that God sees everything that's going on in my life, and I'm going to hope beyond my current circumstances. That I'm looking ahead to what God is going to do and not just focusing on what, what's going on right now. And so he, 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 Job understands that God knows that God will reward. And that is what we find when we come to this last chapter of Job. And you know, we may be thinking to ourselves something like this. Well, wouldn't it have been wonderful if Job could have learned all this about God without enduring the trials? And we would think, like, how amazing would that be? But the reality is, and I'm just going to be honest with you, it would have been impossible. It would have been impossible. Because gold is refined by fire. What does Peter tell us in 1 Peter chapter 1? That the trials we endure are, are a fire that refines our faith, that our, that our faith is like gold and the fire refines it and draws out the, the impurities. And so there are things that Job could not have learned had he not gone through uh, this, 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 this um, suffering that he had gone through. And I want to encourage you this morning. Some of you feel like you're in the midst of a fire. Less storm and more fire. And I want to encourage you this morning that with, with this. Take hope. Take hope. Take hope. Take hope that this is not going on without God's awareness, that he knows everything that's going on. Take hope that God knows the way you take, and it's not without purpose, that after the fiery trial, you too, like Job, can come forth like gold, that you are being refined by the fire that God has allowed, and you're being reshaped in the process. Better times are coming. God knows, God remembers, and God rewards. 
I want to talk this morning about the four great rewards that God blessed Job with. And so as we turn to verse 10, we see what God begins to do. And he says, And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends. Now, back earlier in the, in, the, in the verses preceding this in chapter 42, we find God rebuked Job's friends. And he tells his friends, he said, I want you to make a sacrifice, and then I want you to go to Job, and I want you to ask Job to pray for you that I might not deal with you according to what you deserve, because you guys deserve a lot. And God's whole reasoning behind this is God desired for, his, for these three friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, he desired for them to be restored. He didn't want them to live in condemnation. He didn't want them to live in a guilty judgment against them. He wanted them to be restored. So he says, listen, make the sacrifice. Go to Job. Let Job pray for you that I might not deal with you according to what you deserve. And then in verse 10, and he says, and the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed. So it didn't come until after he had prayed for his friends. And it says, it goes on, so he, and the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. That's pretty incredible, isn't it? And so one of the things, one of the great rewards was that Job's possessions are doubled. The Lord doubled and multiplied all that he had, his land, his home. If you look at verse 12, we see in the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. And he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. So if you go back to chapter 1, what you find is in chapter 1, Job had 7,000 sheep. Double that, he now has 14,000. He had 3,000 camels, now he has 6,000. He had 500 female donkeys, now he has 1,000. He had 500 pair of oxen, now he has 1,000 pair. Where he was rich before, now he is incredibly wealthy. And you know, we may look at life and, 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 and say to ourselves, you know, that, well, let me just put it this way. There are times when God chooses to bless certain individuals with more than enough. Like the, that God just seems to just pour out his blessings on, on, on some people. And I want to say this to us this morning. When we see that happen, don't be jealous. Don't be jealous when God chooses to bless somebody. Because that is one of the easiest things that can begin to, to creep into a heart is to have jealousy of, of what someone else. Don't let envy begin to creep in. Instead, rejoice when God chooses to bless somebody else. You see, in, in Romans, the Bible tells us that we are to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep. And I think sometimes it's real easy for us to weep with those who weep, to mourn with those who mourn because our hearts are saddened by the loss that people encounter or the hardships that people encounter. But when God chooses to bless somebody, sometimes it's hard for us to rejoice. And I'll say this, I, and so I'll say this, if God has blessed you, please share that. It's not bragging, it's not boastful, but we want to be able to rejoice when you're rejoicing. We want to be able to rejoice when God chooses to bless somebody because, listen, I don't want to walk around my Christian life in a sense of weeping and mourning because all I hear about are the hardships and the suffering that other people are going through. I want to hear about the good things that God does in people's lives. Amen? Amen. 
I mean, doesn't that feel good when, when, someone, when someone says, i got to tell you the way that God answered this prayer. I, I want to share with you the way that God has blessed our family, the way that God has provided for our family, the way that God has healed my marriage, or the way that, that God has just solidified in my life that he is real and true and worthy of my trust and my worship. I mean, isn't that good whenever someone says, let me tell you what God has done in my life. Let me tell you this beautiful truth that God has shared with me in this moment. Can I tell you, let me open up the scriptures. Let me share with you the way that God's worth came alive to me and, and, and how he revealed himself to me in this text and what I learned about him in this text. Like, I love when that happens. And I want to rejoice with you when you're rejoicing. I don't want to sit back and be like, well, I've been praying for God to do something like that in my life and he just hasn't done it yet. Talk about a joy kill. Don't be that. Be happy when God blesses people. Now, I'll say this. If you're one of those that whom that God has blessed, use your blessings appropriately. Give generously. Live humbly. But I'll say this. We cannot ever, as a church, allow envy to creep into our lives where we are unable to rejoice in when God blesses another person. That we ought to rejoice with those who rejoice. And so I'm going to challenge you. If you have been blessed, share that with us. Matter of fact, we have a shadow box out in the foyer that has answered prayers in it. If God has blessed you or if God has answered your prayers, please write that on, a, on, a, on, a, on one of those little sheets of paper out there and drop that in so that we can rejoice with you. Matter of fact, it may be your, your we have a prayer request box out there. Matter of fact, it may just be that you just want to put an item of praise in there because I love those too. When God answers prayer, when God moves in our lives, and I'll challenge the rest of us, if God hasn't answered prayers, but has answered them in someone else's life, let's rejoice with them. Let's rejoice with them. I, I think that as Job prayed over his friends, and he saw God restore them, I can't help but that it brought some joy. Even while he was still covered in boils, even while God had not yet blessed Job like he does in verse 10, I still think there was a joy and a peace and a happiness that came over Job as he was praying for these three friends. And I think that is ultimately why God winds up blessing him in chapter 10, because he was able to rejoice at his friend's restoration, at the blessing that his friends were receiving with his prayers. And so sometimes God chooses to bless people. We're not in control of that. He does that. But we do find that Job's possessions are doubled. Number two is this. His relatives and friends emerge. Look at verse 11. Then came to him all his brothers and sisters. I didn't know Job had brothers and sisters until I come to the end of the book. Because you don't read anything about them. Where were they when Job was suffering? But now they come and ate bread with him in his house. And they showed him sympathy and comforted him. For all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him, and each gave him, and each of them gave him a piece of money and a ring of gold. And I, I take, again, where, they're nowhere to be found when Job's suffering, but now, and they're not mentioned, but now they're coming out of the woodwork. And I, I read something this week that kind of made me laugh. He said, you, you, there was a saying, he said, you, you have two ways of knowing how many friends you have win the lottery or own a truck. Right? <laughs> You own a truck? Hey, you want to come help me move this couch? And you're thinking, it's just a couch. 
And you show up and it's a height of it from 1972 that weighs about half a ton, right? But you happen to have the truck. But notice what they did, though, when they came around. They ate bread with him. They showed him sympathy and they comforted him. Job's pain is gone for good, replaced with the laughter and joy of a house filled with family. And each gave him a piece of money and a ring of gold, and perhaps they were housewarming gifts or just them participating and helping him get back on his feet. But I want you to notice one more thing that's not explicit in the text, but it is implicit in it, is that Job and his wife stuck it out. Job and his wife stuck it out. We find her in one chapter saying, Job, why don't you just curse God and die? Can you imagine the suffering that, Job, that Job's wife endured at watching her husband be a shell of the man he once was? And yet they stuck it out. All his pain, all his suffering, and on the flip side of it, Job sticking with her despite the fact that he said, Job, she said, Job, why do you hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. No support, no, hey, Job, God's going to be faithful, stick with him, he's going to do all things well. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away, you know, blessed be the name of the Lord, Job, and we're going to stick. No, she didn't say that. But yet they stick with one another. Despite the failure, despite the, the, the shortcoming, I think sometimes we think in our fairy tale life that as, that, that, that our marriages are going to be perfect, like my husband, my wife is always going to be, you know, who I need her to be right in the moment I need her to be that, and I think sometimes maybe Ashley thinks that I'm going to be like this super husband and like never going to let her down and never going to fail her and always be like encouraging and uplifting and always be one to like listen and never tell her what she ought to do, but the reality is like I'm a faulty dude, right? Any, any husbands here perfect? No, I, no hands. Wise, I don't see any hands. I don't see anybody. Well, I don't know. Katie was looking at Jimmy. Jimmy's, Jimmy might be doing pretty good. But you know, the rest of us, right? Like we have faults and failures. We have areas that we're, we're short in. And I want to encourage you this morning. There is no perfect spouse. There's not. No one is going to be a everything. Why? Because, listen, we're people. We are humans and we are going to fail. Anytime we ever put so, like everything into one person, at some point that person is going to let us down in some, in some way. There's one person, one person that has ever existed that will never let us down. One. And that's God himself. That's it. Well, we'll call it the Trinity. God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, all three of them will never let us down. But the moment you place your faith and your trust and all of your being in somebody other than him, they're ultimately going to let you down. A spouse is going to fail. A, a, a friend is going to disappoint. It's just, it's going to happen. And so don't be like, well, I'm, I, I could find someone better. You won't find anybody better. I'll say that right now. The grass is greener on the other side, but it's usually over a septic tank. What's that mean? That means that they're going to have their issues it's like building a new house, right? You think you've built your dream house six months in, you realize something, you would, you would have done something different. You know, you'd have moved this room or you'd have had this door open this way instead of that way or you'd have put the, the, the French doors in the back, you'd have put them in the kitchen instead of the living room. You'd, you'd find something. 
because nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. And I want to encourage you as married couples, stick it out. You will be better for it. You may not be able to see it on the other side. You may not understand why, but I promise you, you're going to look back at this phase of life, and if you'll stick with it and you'll trust God and you'll surrender to him and allow him to do in your life what he wants to do in your life, you'll come back and you'll look back on this and you'll say, at this moment when we chose to suck it out, our marriage solidified a little bit more. Our, mar- our relationship became stronger. It's like a broken bone. You know, and you you break that bone, but that bone as it heals becomes stronger in the place that it broke. And so the answer to your marriage problems is never to run off or to leave or to do something different. It is to stick it out, talk through it, work through it so that you can become stronger in that. And so his family stays together. Number three this morning is that Job is blessed uh, with with 10 children. Now, I, I started to mention that Job's children are replaced, but I don't like that word because I don't think Job could ever replace the 10 that he lost. I don't think that ever happened. I watch mothers who have suffered miscarriages, and and still, those children are as real to them now as they were when they were carrying them in their bellies. So Job never replaced his kids. You don't replace children, but God did choose to bless Job with 10 more despite Job's advanced age. I think it's a little bit like Abraham and Sarah. They're old people, and yet they've got 10 new, 10 new children. 10 children that God blessed them with after they lost the last 10. Seven boys and three girls. And, and nothing is, is mentioned about these boys, but we're given a bit of detail regarding the daughters. There were none so beautiful and fair as Job's daughters. And, and I, would, I, would, I would venture to say the reason why is because Job's daughters were raised right. They were raised in a home that loved the Lord, and there was something more beautiful about them than just something surface level. They were more than just pretty girls. There was a beauty deep down inside of them that comes from a relationship with Christ. And not only that, but we also see that there was no favoritism. If you look at verse 13, you find that that Job gave them an inheritance along with their brothers, which was not commonplace during the time of, of, of the Old Testament. And then number four, Job is blessed with a long and satisfying life. Look at verse 16 of chapter 42. And after this, Job lived 140 years and saw his sons and his sons' sons four generations. And Job died an old man and full of days. We don't know exactly how old Job was, but we are told that he lived 140 years after the events that we read about in Job in the book of Job. And he got to see generations, multiple generations of his family. And then at last he died an old, old man after living a long, good life. Now quickly, I want to I talk about something just in, in passing this morning. It has dawned on me that I'm not getting any younger. Any of rest of you come to that, that realization? I got to thinking the other day, someone, I, was, I don't remember who I was talking to, but they said, I, I said, how old are you going to be this year? And they said, we're going to be 27. And I thought, man, I was 27 when I came to this church, and this year I'm going to be 36. Matter of fact, I'm going to be 36 here in about a week and a half. 36. And I thought, see, when I was a kid, like 30 seemed old, right? Like I thought, like when I was five, my dad was 30, and I can just remember thinking, man, my dad is old. And I'm like, 36 ain't nothing, Right? 
Like you, you just have this different way of thinking of age. But here's what I've realized. I'm getting older, and as my kids grow older, I feel like I'm getting older faster. Like life went by quick, and then you throw some kids into the mix, and then bam, it's a blur. Like it felt like yesterday I was holding, I was holding Eric like AJ and Joella are, are holding Joel. Fresh out, you know, fresh, few weeks old. I remember when, when Aniston was Piper's age, and she's going to be in the first grade, and I'm going, where's life going? And so when I say these next few things, I want you to think of it, whether you are 20 today or you are 20 years older than you thought you were. Uh, you know, when you start getting that age, you start doing the math to remember how old you are. All these truths share the same. And so I want to give you some tips today for staying young. Job lived to be an old, old man. And, and, and as we age, however old we are, as we age, I want to give you some tips your mind is not old, so keep developing it. Your mind's not old, so keep developing it. Keep read, spend time with people, uh, talk about things, have conversations. Uh, but, but your mind isn't old, so keep developing it. Your humor isn't over, so keep enjoying it. Enjoy your humor. Laugh at yourself, right? We do stupid stuff. And, and instead of being mad at yourself, laugh at yourself. Enjoy. See the funny things that are happening. See the sunny side of life. Don't just live like a bump on a log, like a stick in the mud. And Enjoy life. God has given us this life to enjoy, so enjoy it. Your strength is not gone. Keep using it. Stay active. Find something to do. Jump in and do something. You may say, well, you know what? I may not be totally gifted at doing this, but I see that there's a need, so let me jump in and do this. And it doesn't matter if you're 26 or 76. That applies to all of us. Find something to do. Be active. Enjoy life while you can still do stuff. And, and sometimes we say, well, I'm just getting old. I just can't do what I used to do. You can't do what you used to do, but you can do something, Right? You can pray for someone, you can encourage someone, you can call someone and tell them you love them and you're praying for them, you can do something. And number four is this, your opportunities haven't vanished, so keep pursuing them. Encourage someone. I find myself sliding out of one phase of life and into another. And my opportunities haven't vanished. My opportunities have changed. Where at one point I had an opportunity to do this. Now a season has changed and I've, tra I've, I've, I've transitioned to another season of life. And now I'm in this completely different one. And my opportunities haven't ceased to exist. They're just different opportunities and I need to go and pursue those. And it's the same truth for us, where we may have, have done something in this phase of life, and now we find ourselves in another phase or season of life. The opportunities haven't vanished. They've just become different, so we've got to pursue those things. And so keep pursuing them. And again, it's just like your strength is gone. Keep using it. When your opportunities haven't vanished, so pursue them. Encourage someone. Tell someone that you love them. Matter of fact, I'm thinking very strongly about the month of September doing a social media fast. And here's why. Social media, and, and again, I'm not against it. I love Facebook. I love being able to keep track of what's going on in people's lives. But here's what I've realized over my 10 or 15 years of being on Facebook is that my interpersonal relationships are not as strong as they once were. And here's what I mean by this. I may be flying through Facebook and see someone put a prayer request up, and I'll pray for it that moment, but I never contact them and let them know that I'm doing that. 
or I see someone going through a difficult time and I just fly through it and I, and I think about it, but I don't do anything about it. Or I, write a, I shoot them a text or I, write a fa- I, I put something on Facebook. And I think in my social media fast in September, if I do it, and I'm really so strongly considering it, every time that instead of texting someone, I call someone. Instead of getting on Facebook, I find five people that I should, I should call and talk to instead of mind-numbingly f- scrolling through the Facebook app. Because what is it doing for my relationships if all I'm doing is, is viewing their life and not, and not investing in them in some way? We've broken a friendship down and relationships down to how many friends we have on our, on our, on our Facebook list and not the depth of the relationships that we have with other people. And so I would strongly encourage you, maybe September as a church, we consider doing some sort of social media fast where instead of getting on Facebook, we call somebody. Instead of getting on Instagram, we, 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 we pick up a phone or we, just, we go and have lunch with someone. We take someone out for coffee and start building relationships the way that God intended for us to build them, not just surface level ones where we put all the best stuff on Facebook, but we leave all the garbage off. You know, you're not gonna see me post a picture at seven o'clock in the morning when I've not slept that good and I'm getting up to take the kids and I'm, and my, I'm just mad and I'm you know, throwing coffee into the coffee pot because I, I just need caffeine. Like We don't show those pictures. We don't show pictures of ourselves when we're grieving, when our eyes are red and swollen and we got snot running down our face because our hearts are broken. We don't show that. We show ourselves in a picture on a beach with our, with, you know, like reading a book that we're not really reading, but you know that famous picture of our feet on the lawn chair and we got a book in our hands. We're not reading a book. We're sleeping or we're getting ready to. Like, well, I'll take a picture of my feet in this book and then I'll take a nap. Right? We just show the best stuff, but we don't, but we don't, we don't show and we don't interject ourselves into the, into the real lives of people. Like we're, we like the good stuff, but we want to stay away from the bad. But that's not what Jesus calls us to do. It's not what Jesus calls us to do. We're there to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep. But if we don't know about the weeping taking place, we can't weep with them. We can't mourn with them. You think, well, how awkward is it going to be for them to pick up a phone like, hey, this is Andy from church, or hey, this is Terry from church, or hey, this is Julie from church. It doesn't matter. Hey, this is Andy. I just was driving down the road and thought I'd pick up a phone and give you a call, see how things were going, check in on you, see if I could do anything for you. Just want to let you know I was praying for you. Just see if, and I promise, see what that begins to do in the relationship. See what that begins to do in our church when it's not just relationships through Facebook or relationships through social media, but it is relationship, person to person, a real relationship with a physical, with a physical person, not through the, the interweb. And so I challenge you, be considering that. But, the, but, but back to our, our five things keeping us young, your opportunities haven't vanished, so keep pursuing them. Number five is this, your God is not dead, keep serving and seeking him. Your God is not dead. Your God is not absent. Your God is not silent. Your God is not deaf. Your God is not anything that Satan is trying to tell you that he is. Instead, he is everything. He is everything. He is present. He is aware. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. 
Matter of fact, he has already taken care of the situation. We just have yet to experience his taking care of it. He is everything. Your God is not dead, so keep serving and seeking him. As I think about as we kind of close all this up this morning, it would be great if at the end of our lives, two things could be said of us. They lived a good life. I think back, you know, three to, three to service on, on, on Friday. Three to lived a good life. I want you to live a good life too. I want you to be able to say as your days are dwindling, whether you realize that it's your last day or you realize that you see the end coming, it does not matter what it is, but I want you to be able to say, I lived a good life. And not just good by my definition of good, but good by God's definition of good. That we can be confident, whatever the situation may be, that if something were to happen to me right now, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I would spend an eternity in heaven. That I know that, not by anything that I have done, but only through what Christ has done for me through his death, burial, and resurrection. But I know, I know. And I know that one day I'm gonna trade that cross and I'm gonna gonna trade it in for a crown. And I know that and I can say that I have lived a good life. And the second thing I want us to be able to hear is this, God to say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what I want God to say about each and every one of us, that when we enter into heaven, we will hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. And it may be that, you know, as we kind of you know, have come to a close on this, this book of Job, a good life and those precious words of Jesus can only come through Christ himself. And so however long our time is on this earth, I'm 36, I may live to be 106, I may live to be 46, I don't know. I don't know. And so I don't, I don't say to myself, well, I'll wait until it gets closer to life. There are still things I want to do. I'll wait to start living for Jesus. My, my biggest regret in life is having not started living for Jesus sooner. That's my biggest regret in life is that I didn't live for him a lot earlier than I did. I was almost 20 before I I really started living for him. And I wish I would have taken advantage of those high school years and those elementary school years. I wish I would have taken advantage of it. I want to live a good life. I want you to live a good life. I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And I want you to hear the same. And it all begins with a relationship with Christ Jesus. If you don't have that, that's the place that it begins. From there, it's, it's growing and learning and, and obeying and following. And as we grow in him, we, we, we come to recognize his voice more and more. But God will bless and God is faithful. Let us stand. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. And God, I pray that despite our, what we may be enduring right now, God, I pray that you would help us to understand that you are good and you are faithful and whatever you have permitted, whatever you have allowed to come into our lives in, in this season of life, God, uh, it is, you have allowed it to happen, but God, you have also placed parameters on that. And God, as difficult as it may seem, Lord, you are in the midst of it working. In the midst of it, you are aware of all that's going on. And in the midst of it, God, you are revealing yourself to us. And it may be that you're teaching us something, Lord, that 
that maybe we, we could not have learned without the, without the fiery trial. But God, I do know this, that we can be grateful this morning because in your mercy, you have allowed us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That God, regardless of what you do in, on, in, on this earth, in this life that we live right now, you have promised us an inheritance that is undefiled, unfading, and is being kept in heaven for us. And God, I pray this morning that if there's anybody here today that maybe does not have that living hope, that maybe has never trusted Jesus Christ to be the Lord and Savior of their life, that Lord, this morning would be that day. Lord, I pray for those that may be going through a fiery trial right now. God, I pray that this morning they would lay their anxiety at your feet and that we would know that you care for us. That you care for every situation that every single person in this room right now is facing. Every decision that they are stressing over. Every illness that is creating anxiety and and every circumstance that may be causing some despair. God, I pray this morning for our families. God, I know that Satan attacks our families. God, that he tries to drive wedges between husbands and wives. God, I pray that mercy would be plentiful in our relationships with our spouses. I pray that forgiveness would be freely offered. I pray for restoration to occur. I pray for healing to occur. I pray for your blessings to be poured out on each and every family that is in this church as they seek you, as they serve you, as they love you. That God, in that way, just as Job and his faithfulness to you gave Satan a black eye, that, that our families and, and, and our efforts to raise him in the way that you're calling us to would be a black eye to Satan, and Lord, it would be another gold star or a stamp of approval or another testimony to how great you are and how worthy you are of our love and our adoration and our worship. So God, I pray for our families. And maybe there's some families this morning, Lord, that are in need of just your, your mercy and your grace to come, come rolling down. And God, I pray once again that you would remind us that these altars are not altars of shame. That these altars are not altars of condemnation. That these altars are altars of victory. These altars are are altars of mercy. These altars are altars of grace. This is the place that victories are won. This is the place that lives are changed. This is the place that, that hearts are made new. This is the place where you do your work. So God, I pray this morning that if you are drawing us to these altars, these places where Hundreds and thousands of people over the course of the 60 plus year history of the church have come and knelt and tears have been shed that God we would not be the generation that would view these things as unneeded but God we would be a generation that would rise up and use these things as you have intended. So God I pray God I pray that we would be faithful. So we ask and pray that in this time of response that God you would help us to respond as you are calling us to. For it's in Christ's name and for his glory we ask it all.